Good morning. It is so good to see you today that uh, you braved uh, the rain, and thank you for being here. And uh, I'm reminded of a passage in the book of Acts that says this, Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And certainly the rain is from the Lord and He's given us this season and builds our hearts with gladness today. And that is a heart of worship, a heart of gratitude. And, and so thank you, Isaac, for leading singing this morning and doing a good job. And thank you for being here this morning to, to think in an upward way, to think in a vertical way, to think on higher things and to praise God for the many blessings. I first want to begin with a word of prayer uh, for the Nooncaster family and uh, Brother Thurl, who is is a great brother in Christ and someone who serves here so humbly and in such a big way. His sister uh, has cancer, so we want to begin with a word of prayer for him and for her and that family. Lord, we're so grateful for today, and we know you're with us in this place, and you're with us in every moment of our life. And we pray for our brother Thurl and his sister. We pray for this difficult time. And we pray for this family. We pray for the doctors and the nurses and whatever means uh, that they have at their disposal to help her and heal her. And we pray your intervention, your help, your hands, your providence, your love in this situation. Bless them today. And we pray in the powerful name of Christ in whom we believe. Amen. So this morning, we're going to be discussing the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs is a great book because it has all this wisdom in it. And sometimes I recommend the book of Proverbs for those who have never spent a lot of time in God's Word because it's such an accessible book for people. I always suggest, hey, if you, if you haven't read the Bible before, you know, look at Proverbs and look at the Gospels. That's what I generally recommend for someone who hasn't read the Bible very much because it has all this wisdom in it. And usually it's one of those books that you can pick it up and read it for a little bit and you can get, gain some knowledge, some wisdom, and you can set it down and you can go back to it at any time. So look at the book of Proverbs and, and find the wisdom that's within it. And it's a very unique book because this book is not only from a king to the people of Israel, but this is a book that is written from a father to his sons. And he's wanting his children to know something. He's wanting his children to understand something. He's wanting to pass down the knowledge that he has. He wants to tell them what he's gone through. He wants to give them some fatherly advice. And don't we need it sometimes? So ultimately, the advice that's written in the book of Proverbs is one that is rooted in what? Paternal love. That he wants to tell his children something because he loves them. Here's some advice. Here's some wisdom. Here's some knowledge. Take it. Use it. I want to protect you. Someone once remarked that children are kind of like our hearts outside of our bodies. And as parents, as fathers and mothers, as grandparents, as uncles, 
as aunts, we just want to protect those children, don't we? And that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. So in the book of Proverbs, he takes on a lot of different issues in life. And so we're going to look at some of this fatherly advice that he takes on. And we're going to dive into some deep waters this morning, so put on your seatbelts. But the first thing I want you to understand is, do you really want the wisdom? Do you really want the knowledge? That's what we have to ask ourselves. Do you really want to know? Because with knowledge comes what? Responsibility and accountability. A lot of us say, yeah, I want wisdom. Yeah, I want to know. Tell me. There's a story about a a young, prideful young man that comes to the teacher. And he says, oh, teacher, give me knowledge. So the teacher says, okay. Starts leading him through the streets and takes him down into the sea. Takes him down into the water. And then the, the boy's up to about right here in the water. And he says, what is it that you want? He says, I want to know. Teach me. Tell me the truth. Give me wisdom, teacher. So then... The teacher takes the student and puts him under the water and holds him down. And then the the student raises up out of the water. He says, what is it again that you want? Teacher, give me knowledge. What does the teacher do? He goes again and he holds him underwater. Holds him down for 40, 50, 60 seconds. Finally, he comes up again. What is it that you want? I want knowledge. Give me wisdom, teacher. And then he holds him down again, this time for even longer. And he comes up, I need air. And the teacher says, if you want knowledge as bad as you want air, then you will have it. The question is, do we really want the knowledge? Do we want the wisdom? Do we desire it? And if we do, then we will search it out. We will seek it. We will try to find it. And isn't that what knowledge is about? About seeking the truth. And what wisdom is, is a multifaceted thing. It's not just one thing. It's many things. The first thing that truth is a part of is, number one, it has to be truthful, doesn't it? If you're going to operate on information, the information better be true, right? If you're living on a lie, if you're living on information that's no good, can you have wisdom? The answer is no. You've got to understand that first wisdom involves the truth. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13, 8 that we can do nothing against the truth, but only for it. The Bible says that the truth, to buy the truth and sell it not. William Churchill, Winston Churchill once said, the truth is incontrovertible. Malice may attack it Ignorance may deride it, but in the end, there it is. You can try to hide the truth for as long as you can, but guess what? It will be there when we are dead and gone. The truth will. So if you're going to be wise, you have to have the truth as a part of that wisdom. Secondly, you have to understand, too, that it's about being proactive. That being wise is ultimately about one thing, your choice. That if you're going to be wise, then you're going to have to make a decision. Right? Joshua said it like this, for as choose whom you will serve this day, 
God gives us a choice. God gives us freedom. And not only does our choices shape our futures, but guess who else it shapes? The people around you. The people around you are shaped by your choices. So wisdom is about the truth. Wisdom is about choices. Wisdom is also about human nature, isn't it? If someone is wise, chances are they know what people are about, who people are, what's inside of people. And being a person of wisdom is understanding psychologically who we are and what we are. Human nature. The great psychologist Carl Jung said it like this, we need more understanding of human nature because the only real danger that exists is man himself. We know nothing of man, far too little. His psyche should be studied because we, listen to this, are the origin of all coming evil. Where's evil coming from? It's going to come from us, isn't it? And to understand human nature, understanding who we are, is a part of wisdom, isn't it? Also, wisdom is about knowing what's right and wrong ethically. Isaiah talked about, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. If you're a wise person, you understand what matters most. Right? And you try to align your life with those priorities, those things that matter most. And so if you're going to be a wise person, you know what matters most. And you live your life in accordance to what matters most. That's what wisdom is. And lastly, another thing that wisdom entails, and this is going to sound like a, like a father, because we're talking about the book of Proverbs. <coughs> It involves consequences. Thinking ahead. Where is this decision? Where is this action? Where are these words leading me? Right? It says in the book of Galatians, God is not mocked for whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. Whatever you're putting in the ground is what's going to come up. And if we're sowing seeds of love, if we're sowing seeds of goodness, if we're sowing seeds of virtue, if we're sowing seeds of truth, then what's going to come up? But if I'm over here sowing other things, then that's what's going to... The consequences. You know, there's a little illustration that people use a lot of times about consequences. Doing the math. Thinking ahead. It's like, okay, go up to your kid and you say, hey, I want to give you an allowance. And you get a choice in the matter. That's a start, right? Usually you just get whatever you get, right? Well, you can get a dollar a day for a month. Or you can get a penny that doubles every day for the duration of the 30 days. Which would you want? Well, the kid hears the dollar, don't they? But when you do the math, when you look ahead, when you see the consequences of that decision, you find out that that one cent doubled every day for 30 days turns out to be $5,368,709.12. And honey, I don't think we have that to give to our kid. 
But wisdom is understanding consequences, isn't it? And the great thing about God's Word is is that God has handed us a book of wisdom. Yes, it's supernaturally inspired. Not only do we have the experience of other people, but we have God telling us straight up what you got to do. Paul said it like this in Ephesians 3.10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. It's the church's job to, to give this wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God. Here's the wisdom of God. So ultimately, we're going to discuss this morning in the book of Proverbs what Solomon wanted his children to know. And it may even be what you want your children to know or what you want the next generation of children to know. It's important to pass knowledge, isn't it? Abraham Lincoln said it like this, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of the government in the next. And you can exchange all kinds of words there. The philosophy of the home today will be the philosophy of society tomorrow, right? The values and the things that we teach our children and teach each other are the future. So Solomon tells us in Proverbs 1-7 that the root of wisdom, the root of knowledge, is God Himself. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What does that mean, fear of the Lord? It's talking about reverencing who God is, seeing Him for who He is, that He is the all-wise God that He is, that I should be listening to His Word and His voice in my life. That's the beginning of knowledge. And that's where Proverbs takes us. So what does Proverbs tell us? What does Solomon tell us? He gives his son some instruction. The first thing, and I want you to listen to me, number one, the importance of sexual purity. That's what he wants his son to know. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 5 with me. Proverbs chapter 5, and look and hear what a father... He has the talk, right? And he says this, and this is in a metaphorical way, but I hope you get the meaning, and it gets to the point very quickly. Chapter 5, verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad... Streams of water in the streets. Let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman? And be embraced in the arms of a seductress. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. And he ponders all his path. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man. And he is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for the lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. It goes on in chapter 6. Listen to this. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart. 
nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to the crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take the fire to his, out of his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals, and his feet not be seared? So it is he who goes to his neighbor's wife, whoever touches her shall not be innocent. Solomon doesn't mince any words, does he? He says you've got to keep yourself sexually pure and that it's within the confines of marriage that God sanctions and blesses sexuality. You might be saying, why are you talking about this? Because Solomon does. Because God's Word does. And you know what? If it wasn't for sexuality, none of us would be here. I hate to tell you, that's how you got here, right? That's how we got here. But we see in our society what our world has done to sexuality. It cheapens it. It tries to make it casual. It debases it. And said, it's no big deal. Right? But have we forgotten what is at the root of that relationship? What is it? It's the most powerful thing on earth. It is the power to create a living soul. Is that important? Is that sacred? That's the reason God said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and the two shall be made one flesh. It's an important responsibility, isn't it? Sometimes we talk about illegitimate children. There's no such thing as illegitimate children. There may be illegitimate parents, but there's no such thing as an illegitimate child. It's, it's our responsibility to teach the children. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6.18, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. So the advice that a father has for his child, his son, is one rooted in love. Hey, watch yourself. Strive for sexual purity. Number two. Aren't you glad we're going to number two? Number two. The importance of integrity in business. Wow. That's what Solomon wanted his son to know. That if you're going to be in business, you need to be a person of integrity. Some people think that if you're in business, all the rules are out the window when it comes to integrity. As long as it's legal, right? As long as you can get away with it, then it, all rules don't apply. But Solomon says to his son, listen, in Proverbs 11, a false balance, and he's talking about weighing goods, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride comes, then comes shame but with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless will direct his way aright, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the unfaithful will be taken by their own lust. What does Solomon tell him? If you're going to be in business... You better be doing business in a, in a way that speaks to integrity. Don't be trying to rip people off. 
But yet we see in our markets, what are people doing? Ripping people off. One time the great songwriter Woody Guthrie said that there's some men who will rob you with a, a six-shooter, and then there's other men who will rob you with a fountain pen. And people are robbing people. But in the end, if you are a person of integrity and you combine that with business, you will be blessed. Because as a result, your reputation will be known. They asked Warren Buffett about what he, his criteria in hiring people. And I found it very interesting. He said this, somebody once said that in looking for people to hire, you look for three qualities. Here they are. Integrity, intelligence, and energy. And if you don't have the first, the other will, two will kill you. Now think about it. If you go and hire the smartest person and the person with the most energy, but they lack integrity, what's going to happen in your organization? Well, they're going to be so good at stealing from you that you won't have a cent left. He says the first thing you've got to look for in somebody when you're hiring somebody is integrity. Because if they're any good at anything else, they're going to take everything that you got. Being a person of integrity. And ultimately, if we are people of integrity, if we're honest, if we're good, then our reputation goes before us. Proverbs 22.1 A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Another thing that Solomon tells his son, number three, the importance and the power of your words. Your words have weight. Your words have significance. It says in Proverbs 18.21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The power of life and death are in the words. I don't know if it's that powerful. Well, go to the courtroom. Go to the courtroom, and when they said, Hey, jury, you've deliberated. What's your verdict? And they say one word. And it changes everything, doesn't it? They say guilty. That's the power of life and death. And the words, and you have that power in your life. What you say. Someone once said it like this, keep your words sweet. You never know when you'll have to eat them. Keep your words encouraging. And James tells us that if we can control our words and our tongue, then you can control the rest of your life. Because generally, your mouth is the hardest thing to control. He says that the mouth is like a horse and a bridle or like a ship and a rudder. If you can control your tongue, you can direct your whole life. The power of words. Alright, we're going to get to another one. Number four, Proverbs encourages us and shows us the importance, listen to me, of sobriety. Is it important to be sober? Is that a value that our world needs in it? When you look out into the world, and when you look out into our country, what do you see? You see alcoholism. You see an opioid epidemic. You see people who are, who are losing everything over what? Over addiction. And Solomon warns his children to beware of intoxicants. He says in Proverbs 21, wine is a mocker. Intoxicating drink arouses brawling and whoever is led astray by it 
is not wise. And we don't have to stop with wine or alcohol. We're talking about any intoxicant, anything that takes away your sobriety, your lucidity, threatens your life, threatens the, your wellness. You know what it does? It takes the control out of your life and puts it into some addictive impulse. And that's dangerous, isn't it? When people get addicted and begin to act on addictive impulse, you say, well, what do you know about that? I know too well about it. But if you start acting upon addictive impulses, then guess what you're not acting on? What matters to you? Because instead of doing what matters to you, you're acting on an addictive impulse. You're doing something because you need something, whatever that need is. Sometimes people say, well, you can get addicted to anything. And yeah, you can. But let's not be foolish in thinking that there are some things that you can really get addicted to really easy. Right? I mean, there is a big difference than heroin... You can get addicted to that real easy, can't you? There's some things that are so... And then we got people telling us all the time, well, it's no big deal with smoking weed and, and those kind of things. But it, it robs you of your mental faculties. It takes away your ability to think in a lucid way. And then it does something else to us. All of a sudden, we begin to be surrounded by people as desperate as we are for some intoxicant. You get it? All of a sudden then, we've surrounded ourselves with people who have the same need and they're living not according to their values, but they're trying to seek out that high or whatever it is. And now we're surrounding ourselves with desperate people that are living their lives according to addictive impulses too. And then we look for help and everybody's as bad off as we are. The importance of sobriety. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring light. Be sober, he says. He says, strive for sobriety. And that's what he wants his child to know. Don't give it up. There's a danger in intoxicants, right? If not, then why don't you give your kid something, an intoxicant? Here, have at it. You understand that you don't want them to have it. So he warns of this. Number five, he says, there is a value in justice. He talks over and over in the book of Proverbs that there is a value in looking out for the least of these. He takes on inequity, discrimination, and inequality, really racism, sexism. He says, evil men, Proverbs 28.5, do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all. He says in Proverbs 14.31, He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker. That if you oppress the poor, if you hurt the poor, you're reproaching your maker. That's pretty hefty, isn't it? But he who honors him has mercy on the needy. All of these lessons that Solomon gives us child are all lessons that we need, aren't they? And I hope that today you will accept the wisdom. Because at the end, we're going back to the beginning. Do you really want the wisdom? Do you really want to know? 
Because with that knowledge and with that wisdom and with that truth, it requires something of us that we act in a different way. And in fact, that's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. He says, I will liken the man who hears and does these sayings, I will liken him unto what? A wise man. If you hear the truth, if you hear the wisdom, and you act upon it, then you're a wise person because instead of building your life on the sands of change, on the sands of what you want, you build it on the rock of who God is. And that's a rock that will stand any adversity and any storm. But will you receive the wisdom? You know, the one thing that keeps us from receiving something is when we're filled up with something else. Right? If you have a cup and it's filled up, you can't receive anything in that cup, can you? And you see, some of us are so filled with ourselves and what we want and with our pride and what we think we know, and I'm one of them too, you've got to empty the cup. You've got to get rid of what you think you know and hand it over to the Lord and say, fill up my cup. I receive the wisdom. I receive the instruction. And ultimately, that's who a wise man is who knows good counsel. Receive his wisdom. Receive his counsel. And don't let it stop today. This may be the beginning of a long journey trying to figure it out. And I hope it is because I'm on that journey. I don't have it all figured out. I'm seeking it. And I'm trying to receive it. The Bible says that following Christ makes things clear. Makes things to where you, see, you can see the goal. So begin that today. Begin that search for wisdom. The Bible says it begins in faith, believing who He is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is what begins to move us. It doesn't mean you're perfect. Ain't nobody in this room perfect. But you begin to move in search of that King, of that Lord in your life. You repent of those sins. You say, you know what? I'm tired of those sins. I'm tired of those things that are hurting my family. I'm tired of those things that are hurting my work. I'm tired of this hurting my community. I'm going to turn from it. I'm going to turn to the Lord. I'm going to confess Him to be who He is, the Son of God, someone deserving of my ear and my knee. And also be baptized, immersed into His body. You begin that walk. And it begins a walk of honesty. Honesty with yourself. Honesty with each other. So today, if, if there's for any reason you have a need, we want to invite you uh, to come forward. And we're going to sing this next song to encourage you. If you have any need, then we will be with you and we will pray for you. So won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.